If the Bible were a thriller, this would be the part of the movie when the creepy, suspenseful music comes in and rises to a crescendo as we realize that Jesus is about to be betrayed by one of his very own disciples and given over to the Roman authorities to be executed. In my whole life, I have only watched two thrillers because they're terrifying. <laughs> but let me give one example. Jordan Peele's 2017 award-winning film, Get Out, features an interracial couple, Chris and Rose, going on a road trip to meet her family for the first time. It's far from an ordinary trip. There's a secret in Rose's family that endangers Chris's very life. The moment that Chris realizes that he is in grave danger from Rose's parents, he frantically finds Rose on the stairs and he urgently asks for the car keys so that they can flee. And as the music rises, she slowly turns and smiles, showing the keys, only to reveal that she is not going to give them to him. She is in on the scheme. She has led him into the trap and betrayed him. It still gives me the shivers just thinking about that betrayal. So as the music rises, let's set this scene. Jesus, knowing that he is about to die, has one last meal with his disciples. It's notable that it's a Passover meal. Passover is the feast commemorating God's protection of the people of Israel, sparing them from the final plague that killed the firstborn of all of the Egyptians and precipitated the freedom of the Israelites from slavery. The other gospel writers connect Jesus's death to that of the Passover lamb, whose blood painted on the door frames of the Israelite homes was the marker of protection from the plague that was to pass over them without causing harm. The disciples were about to experience a time of darkness, Jesus's crucifixion, through which God would bring about total freedom, not just from physical enslavement, but enslavement to sin and death. The Passover meal is filled with rituals and explanations it is a time to remember while also looking forward to God's continued work. And Jesus explains that while he takes the cup and breaks the bread, that not only is this a Passover meal, but this is my body, which is given for you. And the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples is not just food and drink but Jesus is sharing himself with them. He is establishing a new covenant with them. So it is after Jesus has shared the bread and the wine around the table that he turns and says, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. This hand has touched the same cup of wine and torn from the same bread as Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus knew Judas would betray him before the dinner even started? It wasn't like he got word partway through the dinner 
and made this pronouncement. It was days earlier. Judas's plan was already in place with the chief priests and the officers of the temple police to reveal Jesus's identity so that he could be arrested. They had already shaken hands and decided on an amount. But Jesus saved a seat for him at the table, nonetheless. And Jesus shares the bread, which is his body, and the wine, which is his blood, welcoming all of his disciples into this new covenant, even the one who betrays him. This is not the behavior that we expect with a betrayal. Betrayal is so painful because it involves a deep violation of trust. It is the type of offense that makes us want revenge, violence. Even the Old Testament law acknowledges this by allowing an eye for an eye. That law is stating that even though you might want to do more damage, limit the retribution for wrong to be the same value and not more. When this betrayal takes place and Judas approaches Jesus to kiss him, leading to his arrest, it is only natural that the disciples ask, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And one of them doesn't even ask and begins swinging before Jesus stops him. One bit of the reading that I found funny was a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 22, verse 36, when Jesus is describing what's about to go down with the crucifixion by saying that the disciples were now going to encounter opposition. And the one who has a purse must take it and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. And there's this weird exchange where the disciples say, Lord, look, here are two swords. And Jesus says, it is enough. When I read it, I thought Jesus was saying, how many? Oh yeah, two? Okay, that should do, that's enough. Which seemed like a strange thing for Jesus to say, given that he later rebukes them for using a sword. However, it seems that Jesus instead was shaking his head at the disciples for their talk of physical swords. Because he was meaning instead, enough talk of swords. You clearly aren't understanding that I'm talking about a spiritual battle rather than a physical one. Jesus does not respond to betrayal with violence or revenge. His way is not the way of the sword, but the way of the table. This is good news for us because there are so many ways that we seek our own gain at the expense of God and at the expense of others. There are so many ways that we can betray God. But instead of revenge or retribution, God still welcomes us to the table and has saved us a seat. This is the new covenant that God has made with us. There is a tragic irony that while Judas sold out Jesus for money, Jesus had already given himself freely. Judas's betrayal certainly gets the biggest headline for the night, but it's not the only one. Peter, too, betrays Jesus that night. We call it a denial to distinguish it, but it's a type of betrayal nonetheless. In Jesus's time of greatest need, Peter disassociates himself with Jesus trying to preserve his own safety. And he does it not once, 
not twice, but three times. Let's look more closely at what Jesus says about Peter's betrayal. Jesus expects that we will all be tested. He says, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Notice that while Jesus begins saying, Simon, Simon, listen, he isn't just talking about Simon Peter being tempted. He uses the plural, you, y'all. You will all be tempted and you will all fall short. But look what he says next. But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. We are upheld by Jesus's prayers for us. How beautiful. If you are experiencing sin, doubt, distance from God, even apathy, Jesus is praying for you. And this isn't the sending thoughts and prayers kind of sentiment that we hear almost meaninglessly today. Jesus's prayers heal the sick, cast out demons, and rouse the dead. This is the power wielded by Jesus's prayers. And Jesus prays for you in the midst of your sifting. Jesus prays for us. So what does it mean that our faith may not fail? As we see with Peter, it doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. He still denies knowing Jesus. But it does mean that Peter repents. So that brings us to the last bit. And once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Here Jesus turns from addressing the plural you to Peter specifically. Following his denials, Luke says, Peter remembered the word of God and wept bitterly. We too are invited to repent, to turn back to God in whatever ways we need to, and then to encourage one another to strengthen each other. In closing, I wanna offer you a few invitations. Perhaps you know that you have sinned, you have betrayed God or someone else, if that is you, turn back, repent. There is a seat for you at the table. Perhaps you identify with Jesus here and you too have been, have been betrayed or disappointed by those close to you or even by God. If that is true for you, know that Jesus is with you in the suffering. You are not alone. Jesus understands and draws near there is a seat for you at the table. Perhaps you are feeling sifted like wheat. You are experiencing a trial. Know that God, the creator and sustainer of the world, prays for you and upholds you. There is a seat for you at the table. May the holy meal of the new covenant sustain you. Amen.